Welcome to the What is Happening in Salt Lake podcast series, brought to you by slc.gov and the Salt Lake Small Business Development Center. The purpose of the podcast series is to review topics relevant to Salt Lake-based business owners and startups, as well as to highlight success stories from other entrepreneurs. Welcome everyone to Startup SLC Podcast. Today we will be interviewing Danny Chang, owner-operator and as he tells us, head dishwasher of a new culinary startup in Salt Lake City's ballpark neighborhood, ComCom Kitchen. Before we jump into it, let's do some brief introductions. My name is Roberta Reichel. I'm with Salt Lake City Economic Development Department. And I'm Will Wright, also with Salt Lake City Economic Development. And I'm Peter Collister with the Salt Lake Small Business Development Center. Thanks so much, guys. So let's just jump right into it. Danny, before we jump into ComCon Kitchen, why don't you give us a little bit of background of your experience in the food industry? Thanks for having me. I joined the podcast. How I kind of got started into the whole food industry was my parents, they owned a restaurant. They owned a couple restaurants. The one that's more notable in Salt Lake City, they owned Sona Express that was next to the University of Utah. They ran it pretty much like a straight up mom and pop shop for about 20 years. And, you know, being a child in an immigrant family, you're pretty much dragged to work whenever you're not in school. So it's, you know, summers, you know, Saturdays after school, you're just, you're working at the restaurant, you know, doing everything from cashier to cooking to, you know, whatever needs to be done. So that's kind of my background background into it. After college, I really wanted to get back into the restaurant business, but it just never really panned out. I mean, I saw how hard my parents work, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks with zero vacation time. And so I was just like, is that something that I want to commit to? Do I want to just be married to the job? Do I, is this something that I really wanted to get into? And so, you know, after my parents closed the restaurants, I've always been trying to figure out a way to, you know, get back into the restaurant business. And then I heard about these ghost kitchens that were popping up or, you know, commissary kitchens. And so that was something that I did some research into and, and just kind of, you know, decided to take the jump and make that leap of faith, I guess. When did you open the ComCom Kitchen? ComCom Kitchen, we started in November of 2019. When I started ComCom, you know, the pandemic was, you know, something that was still in China and, you know, nobody was really even talking about it. So I was, you know, under the impression of just business as usual, just trying to start a commissary kitchen and never really... I knew ghost kitchens were around on the West Coast and East Coast, but I knew Salt Lake City would probably take three to five years for the ghost kitchen concept to catch on. And so I was just like, hey, this is something we can do. We can start with the commissary kitchen, service food vendors that need a commercial kitchen to prepare and um, make their food before they go out to their food service. And so all the while, I was just you know trying to build this thing up where we're just starting a commissary kitchen with the ghost kitchen capabilities built in. But I never thought you know that it'd take off. I never really thought that it would take off as fast as it did. I feel like COVID has helped my business, my business model and what I'm trying to do. Not many people can say that, you know, during this pandemic, especially food service or the food industry. All I hear about is just restaurants and different food vendors just closing left and right just because, you know, the volume of people isn't there. And, you know, that's just hard to sustain and hard to maintain to keep everything up and running until this pandemic is over or, you know, whatever happens. Because, you know, in all honesty, I don't really see an end to this pandemic anytime soon, especially not in America. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like one of those businesses where, you, you know, you plan for the worst and you hope for the best. Uh, Danny, can you help me understand the difference between a ghost kitchen and a commissary kitchen? 
Um, a commissary kitchen, you know, most commissary kitchens before I started ComCom, most commissary kitchens, they were, you know, in industrial spaces, in places where, you know, it was like a garage renovated into a commercial kitchen. It wasn't something that was built for the public to come and enter and kind of see the inner workings of a commissary kitchen. It was just, you know, one of those places, you know, is usually on the west side or, you know, not the most desired real estate. And they just put a kitchen in there. And most of the time people are, you know, the food vendors, they'll just come, do their prep, do their cooking, and then they're out doing their service. And so the difference between a commissary kitchen and a ghost kitchen is the ghost kitchen has the capabilities to serve the public. Most commissary kitchens don't have a retail space that their food vendors could sell out of or could do delivery or takeout. Ghost kitchens are basically a restaurant, but with no dine-in capabilities. Ghost kitchens are strictly for delivery and takeout. And that's just the business model that's based on. And Danny, are you seeing, well, maybe talk a little bit about with COVID, you know, are you seeing uh, increased interest in the business model, um, both from customers and uh, maybe people looking to start up their home? Yeah, no, ghost kitchens are, are very popular. They were very popular back in 2019, uh, especially on the West Coast in California and then on the East Coast in New York. And so they're, they're really popular. It's just a completely different type of business model as compared to the normal restaurant business model. The normal restaurant business model, you know, you're lucky to be making 15, 18% profit off of your revenue. And these ghost kitchen models, I mean, they're substantially higher. You know, your profit margins are close to 30 or 32%. So it's almost a completely different model than what your standard restaurant or food vendor would be, you know, operating out of. So Danny, tell us like who is an ideal kind of startup for a ghost kitchen concept? Like what do you have in there in ComCom right now? What kind of businesses do you have and what works the best sort of in a ghost kitchen? A ghost kitchen or, or commissary kitchen, most commissary kitchens in Salt Lake City, you know, before I started Comp to Comp, they're really, you know, tailored towards caterers or they're specifically ta- tailored for food trucks. Um, the model that I've kind of created for ComCom is something that's open 24-7. And so right now in ComCom, I have three bakers. I have four food trucks. I have three caterers. I try to diversify the, the people in the space because if you are specifically tailored for food trucks, then your kitchen is going to be busy during certain hours of the day and then not in use other parts of the day just because that's just how food trucks operate. You know, They come in at 8 to 10 in the morning, they do their prep, and then they're out doing their lunch service or doing their events or catering or whatever. And so I've tried to build a model where my kitchen is open 24-7. So I have bakers that come in at 2 a.m. and they're baking until 6 or 7 a.m. And then I have food trucks come in at 8 to 10 and then they're out doing their service. And then in the afternoon, I have caterers that come in and then you know they're doing food service at night. We've, we've been messing around with a few different models where you know it's a mix between a ghost kitchen, virtual restaurants, and a regular commissary kitchen. So I feel like you can categorize what I'm trying to do as a ghost kitchen, but it's more of a hybrid of all three of the commercial kitchen, the virtual restaurants, and a ghost kitchen. So you know what I really like about this model is that it has so many opportunities for startup businesses to not, you know, have to use a ton of capital in the beginning. We see, you know, some challenges with small business, small restaurants is the amount um, that it costs to, you know, get get a restaurant running from the construction build out to buying all the furniture and the inventory, and then it takes a lot longer to actually start making money. And so it seems like this is sort of like the fast forward of you, you have very little startup capital that you need to get going and you can start making money right away. So I feel like, and, t- and tell me your experience in this, there's a lot more opportunities for diverse own, um, entrepreneurship, you know, the, the groups that have harder time getting access to capital. Mm-hmm. So this would be like a, a better opportunity for them to get started. Yes, I definitely, I, I definitely feel the same with, with everything that you're saying there. 
you know, starting a restaurant from scratch is really, really difficult, especially now. I just feel like with the, everything that's happened with the pandemic, I don't really see any restaurateurs chomping at the bit. I mean, other than me to start a new restaurant or to open a new lo- location. I just feel like the old model was so broken and for you to only earn, you know, 15, 18, 20% and you're there 70, 80 hours a week. And if you're not there, you're paying somebody to be there. So you're making even less. I just feel like the old model was so broken that, you know, something like this had to come along, wipe out close to 50% of, you know, food vendors or restaurants right now. And it's almost like a reset of, you know, how to operate a business. I'm just lucky enough that I was, you know, already in the space and pretty much on the floor forefront of seeing what was going on and seeing, you know, the capabilities of having a commissary kitchen with, you know, 12 to 15 different food vendors in there, each of which can, you know, start and operate at less than 1% of the cost of opening your own brick and mortar. I don't hold my tenants to, you know, a lease longer than a year. Most of my tenants are month to month just because of, you know, the current economic situation. It just, you just don't know what's going to happen, you know, next. You know, I just hear so many restaurants and food vendors closing that it's just a very scary time to be, you know, jumping in or starting a restaurant, any type of food business. And so, you know, with the advantages of being able to start in a commissary kitchen, of being able to do, you know, operate a food business for a fraction of the expense, I feel like it is a new way of doing business. A lot of people feel like ghost kitchens are just specifically for the pandemic. And once the pandemic has moved on or we've moved past it, I still think there's a huge opportunity for ghost restaurants, virtual restaurants, and commissary kitchens to operate even after the pandemic. Because at the end of the day, people still like to go out. People still don't really want to cook food all the time at home. And with so many food vendors and restaurants closing, there's still going to be a very high demand for you know high quality food or even just good food at a you know, reasonable price. Can you speak to some of the elements that have allowed you to succeed during the COVID crisis? Well, I, I just feel like the public has been just so much more receptive to the concept of just delivery and just takeout restaurants. You know, most of the time people, you know, like the social interaction, like going out, like, you know, interacting with the staff and, you know, with the cooks and different things like that, just the whole social aspect of it. With the pandemic, that's kind of taken everything away. You know, everybody's social distancing, everybody has a mask on. And so that social aspect has kind of been taken away and it's kind of led to people adopting takeout and delivery restaurants only because that's, that's just almost the new norm during the pandemic. What advice would you give to a new restaurant entrepreneur thinking about uh, starting some type of food-based business in light of the current environment? I would tell them not to open up a restaurant. (laughs) Um, I just feel like the old restaurant model was just so broken. I feel like moving forward with the increased minimum wages, which will eventually lead to higher cost of food for everybody. I really feel like the dine-in experience will actually really be like a high-end dine-in experience. I think it'll eventually be, you know, the casual dining. Once you raise the cost of it, it's just going to be, do I really want to go to a pub and spend $25 on a burger and a drink? Or in, you know, you, know, you can just be at be at your house. You can get the exact same burger for ten or even probably half the cost of you know what it would normally cost. So my advice is, if you're doing the old restaurant model, I would seriously think about it. Unless you are just in love with the restaurant industry or the food industry in general, if you love it, then that's your passion and it's really not work. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're trying to make a living, trying to make a profit, and you're you know all you're worried about is the bottom line, I wouldn't even step into the restaurant industry right now. I just don't. See any restaurateur really wanting to put up that upfront capital for the build out. 
and then signing, you know, seven or, or five or seven or 10 year lease on a retail space that you're spending, you know, eight, nine, $10,000 on, or you don't even know if the public's available to come in, let alone with the new, you know, CDC guidelines where, you know, you have to have everybody spaced out, you know, restaurants right now, dining spaces have been cut in half. And so if you're running the old model with being able to seat less, I mean, you're making even less than what people were making before. So I, my suggestion to people that are trying to open up restaurants is not, is not to, unless, unless you're doing some sort of hybrid between it's like a ghost kitchen, commercial kitchen, commissary kitchen, and a virtual restaurant. I just think the margins and the profitability on this new type of restaurant model is far superior than the old model. And I just, I wouldn't suggest anybody to step into the old model unless you really, really love the restaurant industry or love the food industry. And then at that point, it's really not about the money. It's just about you enjoying, you know, the time that you're spending at the restaurant and doing what you do love. Shifting gears a little bit, Danny, I'm curious about what you think is important for a location and how you found the location for ComCom Kitchen. Um, I actually, um, I had a couple commercial real estate friends, you know, they, I let them know that I was looking for a commercial kitchen space. And so we started going around the city and started to try to find, you know, the right location. Like I said, most of these locations, most commissary kitchens aren't in the best, you know, areas of the city. And I wanted to try to find something that would be able to have access into downtown Salt Lake, but not have to pay you know, the retail space for being in downtown Salt Lake. And so that's kind of the criteria that I was looking for into looking for the space. I looked into the space downtown on 400 South and 400 West. And the landlord, she figured out, you know, what I was trying to do with a commercial kitchen. And she was like, Hey, I actually, I have a market that kind of opened up. It's got a kitchen inside. This might work for your concept. And so once I saw the space, once I saw that it was licensed as a market before with the commercial kitchen inside of the market, I thought to myself, you know, this is this is this place I needed to be to create the commercial kitchen, but also have a market retail space in the front for our food vendors to sell out of, you know. And so that's kind of why I just jumped at the the chance to be in the spot that I am now. And so my building is a little bit different. Like I said, we started, we got our business like license as a market. And then we were able to, you know, remodel the kitchen and put a level four commissary kitchen within the market. And so like it's kind of like this hybrid that I was able to create just by, you know, what was available at this location. Yeah, I just want to clarify the location. You said something about fourth south, fourth west, but I thought you were over. Yeah, oh, that was okay. that was oh, okay. the first one I went to, and then it was it wasn't really the most ideal location, just because you know it didn't really have you know a grease hood or certain cooking equipment and stuff like that. And so this was literally the second spot I looked into, and it was it, it just worked. And so that's why I kind of jumped at the opportunity to be able to take it over and sign the lease fairly quickly. <laughs> and, the, and the streets on that you're on Seventeenth South and. And 6-7 West. So we're just right in between Main Street and West Temple on 1700 South. Yeah, very cool. And so we really like this location. We're five minutes from downtown Salt Lake, where we've got freeway access for our food trucks to get out and do their services. And we just feel like this neighborhood, you're not paying a premium as you would in downtown Salt Lake. But I feel like with the growth of what Salt Lake County has been able to do in the last four or five years with, you know, all the residents moving in, 
we just felt like this was the, the most logical spot for us. The next area in Salt Lake County to be filled up. It seemed like downtown Salt Lake was just, you know, high rises, condos going everywhere. Sugar House was the exact same thing, you know, just getting really, really clustered. And then we just feel like it's eventually going to push, you know, enough far enough west that we would be part of Salt Lake City, you know, just part of the whole city in general instead of being in the outskirts. Well, Danny, you and I have talked about some resources that are available through Salt Lake City for businesses, you know, and I don't know if you've had a chance to, to think about that, but what are some resources that, you know, might not be available that you think could really help your business and these new entrepreneurs that are starting out in Tom Crown Kitchen? I would, I would have to say it's just, it, I mean, for me being an immigrant, I see, you know, I see other immigrants trying to start a business or not have the education level. So they fall back onto, you know, what they've known or what they used to do, you know, in their, in their homeland or whatever. And so I just feel like if you guys can provide a better service where, you know, where language isn't really an issue. I feel like there's like a language barrier. I feel like there's almost like a technology barrier that's almost hindering some of these, you know, new entrepreneurs or, you know, startups from getting started because, you know, they are new to the state or maybe they're new to, you know, the country. And so they are, they're just either challenged with the language or they're challenged with, you know, operating the internet and being able to, you know, navigate the different forms and applications that they have to do. And, and, you know, from my background, I'm always, just so cautious of what I fill out and what I put down. I just never, you know, I think it's the Asian in me where it's like, I never want to put the wrong answer down on a, on a form or, you know, it's like some sort of a test or quiz. And so it's just that kind of stuff deters me from, you know, completing the application forms or, you know, moving forward with stuff like that. And then on top of that, just knowing that that those things are available, you know, I, I had no idea the Salt Lake economic development. I didn't even know there was even such a thing until I actually started doing some research and found out there, there's grants that you can get and different applications applications and loans that you can apply for that do help small businesses. I just don't think that, you know, as a small entrepreneur, you're even thinking about that or even have that on your radar. You're most likely just trying to get your business up and running and just trying to make it as efficient and as profitable as possible. I just don't think that they even know that that option is available. Do you have any advice to us, Danny, on how to better reach immigrant and minority communities? I mean, I think the only, not the only, but I think the best way to do it is actually have representatives or agents that can speak various languages that can actually go and talk to these people and actually let them know that there are these different things available. I just know that, you know, if you just send them a link or send them, you know, an email, different things like that, if they're already language challenged, they're most likely not even going to read the email. They're just like, okay, as long as I'm not in trouble, I will just kind of disregard this email or whatever. But if you have somebody actually go to them, talk to them, walk them through, you know, the steps, I really think that would be very beneficial for new entrepreneurs and definitely immigrant entrepreneurs. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I, I'm just really happy to be able to talk about my business. It's something that I enjoy doing. And so I don't really feel like it's a job or it's work for me. It's something that I've grown up doing in my whole life. And now I've been able to create this new business model where, you know, it is profitable. I can at least have a life outside of my restaurant or outside of my food business. And, you know, it's a good blend where before I feel like, you know, if you weren't married to the restaurant or there for 70, 80 hours a week, you were paying somebody else and you weren't maximizing or making the most out of your space. I feel like with ghost kitchens, with the commissary kitchen and the virtual restaurants that are coming out now, 
I feel like it's a new type of business model. I feel like it's going to be around long after the pandemic. And I feel like it's just a new way of doing business. And I feel like COVID has actually sped up everybody's mindset of, you know, how to operate and that, you know, delivery and takeout restaurants are an actual option instead of, you know, as before. I feel like they were kind of just looked at it like some gimmick or some, some, you know, that or trend. And then I just feel like with this new business model where you don't have to worry about the dine-in, you don't have to worry about staffing, you don't worry have to worry about your servers. All you have to worry about is the quality of your food and how it travels and if it travels well and if it's delivered properly. I just feel like this new business model takes away a lot of the headaches that restaurateurs are dealing with now with staffing and protecting their staff and having a job for your staff and all these different things wherein I feel the changing of the times is is creating this new business model where people are more open to the concept of just delivery and just takeout restaurants. So Danny, I was just wondering about costs. Um, obviously, this one seems to be a more affordable option, but do you have a comparison of like, what's the average square footage that a restaurant, bakery or whatever food company rents from you and what the cost is versus you know what they might pay per square foot to lease restaurant space? Right. I could just give you what, what I know. If you wanted to open up a restaurant in the Sugar House, in the new Sugar House complex, they were giving restaurateurs, I think, in between forty and $60,000 for their build out. They'd also give them a few months of rent for free. But in turn, they would want you to sign a five to seven year lease. Your cost per month just on the lease is about eight or nine thousand dollars just on just on the space alone. That's not including, you know, hiring staff, getting restaurant equipment, doing everything else that you need to do to get the restaurant up and running. As comparison to trying to come into my commissary kitchen, I literally charge you first and last month's rent and you can come in and start operating and start selling out of here almost immediately. Minus food costs and that's about it. Most of my tenants aren't really hiring too many people. They're just out here doing it themselves, either the food truck or caterers or bakers. Um, they do hire a few people helping hands to help them along the way. But I feel like uh, the cost of signing a brick and mortar as compared to starting off small in a commissary kitchen or in a ghost kitchen kind of atmosphere. I mean, I think I think the difference is almost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, for you to start a restaurant, you know, do the marketing, do everything, get that up and running. I mean, you're looking close to well above $100,000. And to start a ghost kitchen or a virtual restaurant or anything like that, it's almost just food costs and then renting the space. And like I said, it's renting a commercial kitchen space as compared to leasing a brick and mortar. You're looking at fractions of the cost. Almost, I want to say, just off the top of my head, I mean, you're probably paying 15% of what you'd usually be paying in a normal brick and mortar, five to seven year lease kind of plan that you know most landlords have. So just and just to be clear, like we're not saying that restaurants are dead, right? You you even mentioned that people really do enjoy that social atmosphere. And there is the time and place for people that want to go out and enjoy restaurants. This is just a really great alternative, obviously during COVID, but also I do you see it as like a stepping stone for like getting started. Some people may stay there forever, but some people may sort of graduate on to the restaurant once they've got their feet under them, they've got a great product and there's high demand for it, and they could potentially move into a restaurant where they be more successful. 
Yes, yes, most definitely. I just feel like this is such an easy, you know, you'd probably only need $10,000 or less to get this some sort of a ghost kitchen or virtual restaurant up and running as compared to, you know, the high cost of that. But I'm definitely not saying that restaurants are all going to close or they're all going under or different things like that. I know of several restaurants that have been able to capitalize on the takeout aspect during COVID and have been able to make just as much as they normally have, you know, during normal times, just because their staffing is lower, but they're all also being able to service more people and through the takeout spot. So there is a little bit of give and take. You know, I feel like the really, really good restaurants are always going to be around and they're thriving because people still want to do takeout from them. They don't they don't really mind the takeout version. I'm just saying right now, you know, the mediocre to kind of bad restaurants, they're all kind of mostly gone by now. Most of the PPP money is gone. And so most of them have closed up shop. There is definitely a future for restaurants because like I said, people always want to go out, do the whole social aspect of everything. But I feel like, you know, with with minimum wage increasing with all these different things, you know, the cost of cleaning the restaurant, the cost of, you know, keeping your employees safe, keeping your customers safe. I feel like all of that will increase the cost of food for everyone. And at that point, I feel like, you know, the consumers are going to be able to they're, they're going to want to go out and spend the extra money for that actual dining experience. I don't think they're going to want to go out and spend that, you know, extra money just to go get a burger, just to go get a casual dining somewhere. I feel like that whole model is almost, you know, it's just almost too expensive or you're pricing people out of certain things wherein a lot of people like eating at home or like the delivery or takeout option and they're perfectly fine with not having that social aspect. But I definitely feel like, you know, restaurants are here to stay. You know, there's just so many of them that have closed and the ones that are going to be left standing at the end of this pandemic are, I feel like they're just going to thrive just because, you know, what 50% of your competition is just gone just like that. It's, you know, there's definitely opportunity opportunities for, for new restaurants and new for new concepts to come out. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy and it really means a lot for us for you to come on here. And I think it's also really inspiring for those diverse entrepreneurs that are looking to jump into the food industry. It's a much more economic way of doing it. So I think this is a really cool concept and thanks for explaining it all to us and um, just for your time. Yeah, no problem. And if there's, if anyone reaches out to you that's a small business or entrepreneur or someone that's looking to start in the food industry, um, you know, I'm more than willing to talk to them and let them know, you know, what the economic climate is right now and how I feel like how the restaurant or the food industry is moving forward after post pandemic. And so, you know, definitely use me as a resource. I definitely like talking about it just because, you know, this is what I do with my time, not just my time at work, but just with my time, you know, my free time. I'm just I usually hang out at ComCom all the time and just kind of just soak it in and kind of make sure everybody's you know up and running, see how everybody's operating and and see you know what the future holds because at the end of the day we don't really know what's going to happen you know in a couple weeks or even a couple months you know I still remember when. COVID first started, you know, we were all thinking like, hey, everybody, we just, everybody kind of just go home for three weeks and, you know, everything will be all right. And we're, we're close to almost a year now. And so I don't really see anything really changing anything, any like in the near future. And so I just feel like this is something that is going to last a lot longer than, than just the pandemic fad or trend or whatever. Um, and yeah, like I said, definitely if anyone has any questions or if any, if you know of any small businesses, um, I'm more than happy to talk to them and let them know my thoughts on on what I feel like the food industry will be like in, in a couple of years. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Danny. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. 